0: We turn now to the Old Testament to the book of Exodus chapter 12 Exodus chapter 12 beginning in verse 8 Then they shall eat the flesh on that night Roasted in fire, with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat it raw, nor boiled at all with water, but roasted in fire, its head with its legs and its entrails. You shall let none of it remain until morning, and what remains of it until morning you shall burn with fire. And thus you shall eat it, with a belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you, When I strike the land of Egypt, so this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel." On the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared by you. So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread. For on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt, Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as an everlasting ordinance. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month at evening, you shall eat unleavened bread until the twenty-first day of the month at evening. For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings, you shall eat unleavened bread. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, "Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families, and kill the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians." And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door, and not allow the destroyer to come into your houses to strike you. And you shall observe this thing as an ordinance for you and your sons forever. It will come to pass when you come to the land, when the Lord which the Lord will give you, just as he promised, that you shall keep this service. And it shall be when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? And you shall say, It is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the children of Israel went away and did so, just as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for what was accomplished that night and that day in Egypt. Lord, all that you had promised, you delivered. And you did this great work of saving your people, the great work also of judging their enemies. And Heavenly Father, we are thankful that they kept the Passover in faith. Moses himself kept it. And so all those who followed him, And Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the symbology that is to be found, the typology of Christ and his work. And Lord, as we turn our attention to the unleavened bread, we pray, Lord, that you would fill our hearts with understanding of these things and with applications of these things. And that you would bless your people with the provision of the word, even as you granted them provision of the bread. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Continue on in Exodus chapter 12. Last time we focused on the Passover lamb, and that is perhaps the central and high point. If you can point to any theological center of the book of Exodus or even of the whole Old Testament, it is surely to be found in the Passover lamb as he points us to Christ and his provision for us on the cross. But tonight we focus on the unleavened bread. We know that the whole of Exodus is indeed a picture of our salvation. You understand that. Here's a people who are enslaved. They're in deep, dire trouble. They're going to die in this land. They must get out of there. And their passage from, their deliverance from Egypt and their passage into the promised land, that is a picture of our salvation. And the Passover itself is a picture of the gospel. And I hope you understand that there are two main aspects to our salvation. There is justification and there is sanctification. And if you don't know, then I'm going to tell you now in this introduction to give you a little primer on the difference between the two of them because many problems come when we do not keep those two things uh, both distinct and connected in different ways. Now, justification is our forgiveness of sins. It is... The moment in which we are declared righteous in the sight of God. And very often we speak of that of being saved. And that's very true. We you put your faith in Christ, you are saved in that sense of having perfect justification in the sight of God. And you will, if you were to die, you'd go immediately into his presence. There's no sin on you to bring you into hell, but rather Christ's righteousness to bring you into heaven. But there is also, in addition to justification, there is also Sanctification. The work by which God makes us to be more holy. removes sin and, and in the process, in the time of our, of our lives in this world, we're made more and more holy like God himself, more and more Christ-like. Now, in this picture of the gospel, of the, the, what happens in chapter 12 in Exodus, the lamb is a picture of justification. He shed blood. That's what that is a picture of. And the unleavened bread, that's a picture of our sanctification. Okay? Now, leaven itself, leaven is yeast, if you didn't know. Leaven is yeast, little bits of things that are put into to bread. That is a natural type of, according to the direction and creation of God to be a picture of sin. Okay? And unleavened bread is a picture of our sanctification, of sin's removal from us. So this work, then, of getting rid of, of leaven is a picture of sanctification. Now, there is, again, a distinction between these two things. They're connected, but there's, they're not exactly the same. And one of the greatest distinctions to be made between justification and sanctification is that justification happens once for all in an instant where sanctification is ongoing in this life. Okay. So notice that the death of the Passover lamb and the, the eating of it is a work of a single day. Whereas the feast of unleavened bread is a week-long affair. Well, that's a picture of the theology behind it, you see. Shorter Catechism 33. What is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepted us as righteous in his sight only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. But what about sanctification? Listen, sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die and to sin and to live under righteousness. You see the difference? It's an act in terms of justification. Once and for all, and once it's done, it is complete. There's no more, more and more justification. There's no increase of justification. It is utterly perfect from the moment it happens. Whereas with sanctification, it begins, yes, but there is addition to it, and the work is ongoing throughout our lives here. That, friends, is what the Feast of Unleavened Bread is about. Now, beyond the matter of this unleavened bread and the work of sanctification, there's also the matter of haste. That is a, maybe a secondary aspect of this. It's a matter of haste, because the process of making leavened bread requires time. You understand the physical process of allowing a a lump of dough to rise. You put yeast in it, you, you knead it, and you let it sit there until it rises. Well, that takes time, time that they didn't have. If you have all the time in the world, in your routine life, then you have time to make leavened bread. If you're living a routine, stationary life, it's what you do if you're not in a hurry. But unleavened bread is what you do if you're in a hurry. You don't have the time to do this If you're in a rush, all you need is the nutrition of it, and you can make yourself unleavened bread. And this is a picture of the mindset of those who are in the the process of the exodus. Those who are moving away very quickly from a, a life or death threat, they need to have unleavened bread. And again, the exodus was both an act and a process. It was an act. In some sense, the moment that that Pharaoh says, okay, you can go. But it is a process then of their leaving, of their journey away from from Egypt, and their moving into the promised land. And that would not happen immediately. Now, they were going to the land flowing with milk and honey, right? No need to worry about unleavened bread and land flowing with milk and honey, where they were going to be established in that land. But for the time being, in the process of leaving this land of death and moving on to the picture of their heavenly home, they were going to have to do this as pilgrims in a hurry. And therefore, it was right that God fed them with unleavened bread. So there is a picture of the removal of sin and sanctification. There is a picture of our manner of pilgrims in this life of being in haste and, 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 and running away from destruction and to our heavenly home. And finally, there's the aspect here of the memorial. The reason why they kept this feast of unleavened bread was to be a memorial of what God was going to do. They should remember what they were saved from and how they were saved from it, and therefore this was going to be a perpetual memorial to God's work in the Exodus. And they would keep this feast of unleavened bread. Well, that's our topic and title tonight, Unleavened Bread, and those very three points, Without Leaven, Haste, and Memorial. Without Leaven, Haste, and Memorial. So first, without leaven, in the description given in verse 8, Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in fire with unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Now, the point of this is that you are not to eat the Passover lamb with leavened bread, right? So this is the description of the way that you should eat even the lamb itself. It's only going to be with leavened bread. And beloved, this is a reminder that our reception of Christ must be of him alone. And nothing of our own making, nothing of our devising can be added in to our reception of Christ, Why is it that all the Reformation solas, again, we'll remind ourselves of the Reformation as we seek to have a memorial to it of the 500th anniversary. We seek to remind ourselves of how God delivered us from darkness and all that. Why are the solas all having to do with alone? Alone. Scripture alone. Christ alone. Alone. Grace alone, faith alone. Why Why is it that these things are alone? Why? Because in Roman Catholicism, there's always something else. They believe in all those things. You understand, they believe in Scripture and the Magisterium. They, they believe in Christ and... Various other things. They believe in grace and works. In faith and works. And all these things. And the Reformation was to strip all that away and to say, no, it's only God's provision. And nothing, nothing do we have in our reception of Christ except what God has given to us. Christ alone. faith By faith alone. Grace alone. All those things. So nothing. No leavened bread. Only this unleavened bread as God has ordained. And the permanent situation, beyond what was going to happen that single night, That permanent situation would involve not just this momentary thing, but a week-long feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. Very curious, isn't it? The idea of a feast of something that is intended as whey bread, something that is intended as something only to be had uh, on the go. But this is precisely, my friends, a picture of God's good provision for us. Yes, it's unleavened bread, and it's designed for people on the move from a place of destruction to a place of goodness that they have not yet come to. But it is itself yet a feast, and we cannot forget the nature of this. It is not that we are on a starvation diet of this unleavened bread, but rather this is God's good, sufficient, and abundant even provision for us, in this feast. Now let me say that this concept of the removal of leaven, it goes beyond the merely the ingredients that are used in the bread itself. Definitely not that. But it goes beyond it to even what is to be found in the house. If you're listening in the reading, you'll notice on the first day, this is verse fifteen, on the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses. For whoever eats leavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. So the leaven itself must be removed from the houses. And I'll carry on in this. Uh, in verse 16, on the first day there shall be a holy convocation, and on the seventh day there shall be a holy convocation for you. No manner of work shall be done on them, but that which everyone must eat, that only may be prepared for you. Again, a picture of our rest in Christ, and that we dare not defile this feast, this reception of Christ and his work, either with this leaven of our own making or of any work whatsoever. It must, with the people, must rest in this time. It reminds us that there is no, none of our works to be found in our salvation at all. Verse 17, So you shall observe the feast of unleavened bread, for on this same day I will have brought your armies out of the land of Egypt. And in verse 19, For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses. Since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened. In all your dwellings you shall eat unleavened bread. Well, he says it more than once, doesn't he? He's very serious about this. To the extent that the houses must be uh, searched and all leavened to be taken away out of the house. Today, of course, the Jews carry on this Tradition, and as the time of the feast of unleavened bread draws near, they uh, both ceremonially and actually go and remove all leaven from their household. Well, in all this is a reminder, of course, that it is not merely the the uh, the product itself, but everything that surrounds it that is at risk when we think of the concept of leaven, because leaven, as we've we've heard, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's as if it's, well, we know what it is physically. It actually is, it's it's yeast and therefore it's alive. It's something that grows. And if you put a little bit in here, it doesn't just stay there. It actually pervades the whole thing as it grows and expands. And you know, in fact, that we have... Uh, friendship bread or uh, those kinds of things whereby you have a little bit of dough and you, you take it from place to place and, and it, it, it carries on and, and continues life uh, for who knows how long as one lump of that goes from household to household and people add to it and continue using it for, for, for months, years, who knows how long. Well, in all this, that's why we've got to be so deadly careful and so completely thorough in the removal of sin because sin, my friends, is like that. That's why in 1 Corinthians 5, 6, it says, Your glorying is not good. The Corinthians are thinking they're great. They think that they're a great church. They are really happy about themselves. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Just a little? Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump since you truly are leavened. For Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so as we consider what it means to be without leaven, we have to understand that the nature of sin is such that it is not to be countenanced, it is not to be coddled, it is not to be protected, it is not... And you cannot imagine that if you keep it compartmentalized in a single place in the church, or a single place in your home, a single place in your heart... That it'll be safe. The only safe thing to do. And friends, it is not everywhere that the Lord ring fences these things. The Pharisees specialize in adding to the Word of God and taking His commandments and adding to them a, a fences around them that were unnecessary that God had not prescribed. But in this case, God actually prescribes this measure. Not only don't let it, don't put it into your bread. Because if you have this unleavened bread, you're going to be cut off from Israel. But that the consequences are so important. The consequences for making a mistake so dire, it is to be rid of and and, uh, eliminated from your households. And that, friends, is a picture of the work, indeed, of sanctification being purged from sin. More of that in the application but secondly so if if leaven itself has to do with sin and its removal from us secondly we consider the topic of haste in unleavened bread because the most straightforward explanation of why it is that they needed in the the situation demanded unleavened bread in a, a normal and i guess physical sort of way comes in verse 39 and they baked unleavened cakes of the dough which they had brought out of Egypt for it was not leavened because they were driven out of Egypt and could not wait, nor had they prepared provisions for themselves. They couldn't wait. It had to go, this was going to happen right then and there, and they had to go, and therefore the only kind of provision that was going to work for them was the hasty preparation of unleavened bread. As I say, normal dough with yeast requires time to wait for it to rise, and that is time they did not have. Now, think about what kind of urgency they were under as they were preparing to go. Well, the Lord had told them that they needed to leave quickly, so the Lord's command is sufficient. But the people of Egypt were urging them out of the land. You remember, they were positively pushing them out of the land. They did not want them there any more. So even as the people, interestingly, purging out the leaven from among themselves... So also the land, knowing that the presence of the people of God in their their midst was bringing upon them this judgment. They greatly desired to bring them, to push them, to expel them out of the land. And, of course, the people themselves were in great hurry. They were not ignorant of the fact that Pharaoh had an army and that Pharaoh had been known to change his mind. And they rightly guessed precisely what was going to happen That he was going to come against them with everything he had before it was all over. Well, for all these reasons, they were truly in a hurry. And there was no time for leavened bread. And this aspect is emphasized in the manner in which they were to eat it. In verse 11, thus you shall eat it with a belt on your waist, with sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Thus you shall eat it. Again, this is observed even among the Jews today that they are to be dressed in such a way. But the idea of a belt on their waist is an equipment belt. Your loins have been girded up and you are ready to go. Your things are there. Likewise, with a staff, or your sandals in your feet and a staff in your hands. Why? Because you're going to leave any moment. And all, how can you possibly not remember? the reality of haste and the need to be moving on as you're eating it, right? There's a very different kind of, of, of feast or of a meal if we were planning on staying where we are. But rather, if we're having a feast that we are moving away from this place, we need to get out of here in haste, well, that's, that's going to be reinforced by being packed and ready to go. I can tell you that sometimes happens you know, I sometimes like to cut it close in my, my timings and sometimes I have to be at the airport or maybe we're going to Presbytery or so forth. And I'll have my bag next to me here and I'll be dressed and ready to go and I'll have this and that and the other all around me. And there I'll be eating and I'll be eating the meal, the breakfast in haste. And it never once does it leave my mind that I'm about to leave this place. Well, that's what the Lord says is our situation leaving this world, because we cannot forget that this is what this is pointing to. Now let me say, it's a dual threat. It is not merely that the angel of death, uh or sorry, it's not merely that the Egyptians are going to come against them, but of course we're reminded that the the most important threat that they faced was that of the angel of death. And that explanation in verse twelve, for I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night. And will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And friends, that's what's happening to this world. We mentioned it this morning. It's condemned. The Lord himself is going to pass through this world. And he is going to bring it into judgment. He's going to destroy it. And friends, that's the central aspect of our problem. The human problem is the wrath of God. And therefore, we should do, as, as Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, that he runs for his life. And even as people tell him, come back, he says, life, eternal life. That is our situation in eating in haste. What threatens, yes, is the wrath of Pharaoh, but even more so the wrath of God. And they are not to remain in that place as they are, but rather they are in haste. And that is our situation in this world. We are in a situation of pilgrims. We have not set up camp here permanently, but rather we are on the move as we look for the new heavens and the new earth, as we look for our heavenly home, the promised land yet to come. So there is without the leaven of sin. It must be done in haste. And thirdly, there is a memorial memorial. And verse 14, so this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. You shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove leaven from your houses, or whoever eats unleavened bread from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel you see it is going to be a memorial throughout your generations it shall be an everlasting ordinance how interesting beloved it is of crucial importance that remember that we remember all that god has done for us it was important for them God knew that they were a forgetful people. He knew that about his people. And therefore, he made sure, he set in place a provision in order that they would never forget what he had done for them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. Now, they still forgot. They still forsook him. But it was trampling over all of these things of remembrance that he had given to them. All the good providence that he had said, I want you never to forget your situation. This act of my deliverance, it is worthy of remembrance in your generations for all time. And I will make sure that you remember it. I will make sure that there is reason, that you, you have reason to teach further every generation thereafter exactly what happened. A perpetual memorial from one generation to the next so you never forget what happened. And what, what was going to happen along those lines? Well, you wouldn't forget what happened, but also you wouldn't forget... Uh, in the larger sense of your situation. You wouldn't forget your perpetual situation of eating in haste because we remain, even they remained, as pilgrims and strangers in the land in the larger sense, even when they came into the the land flowing with milk and honey, and that they would forever be thankful for what God had done and they'd live in joy. Uh, The problem, of course, their problem is they forgot. And in time to come, they would forget all that God had done for them And they would turn to other gods. Well, This is of equal importance for us. This work of memorial. This work of remembrance. Now thankfully, instead of the Passover, we have the Lord's Supper. And we should remind ourselves that each and every time we partake of it, it is a work of going in both directions in time. We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do this in remembrance of me. It is a looking back in remembrance to all of God's goodness in saving us in his provision in Christ this broken body and shed blood for us and also looking forward that he is coming again we proclaim that in fact to the world each and every time Now our problem is just like the Egyptian or just like the Israelites that we might forget we must remember it this is how we carry on this is how we remain aware of our privileges what is a Christian's problem I mean nothing of the unsaved, but of the actual Christian, the believers. What is his problem? That we forget our privileges. We are not mindful of them. God in his goodness wants you to be mindful of them. Mindful of all that he has done. That is why we have memorials. That's how we give thanks for all that God has done. And we live the life of joy and of thanksgiving that he's called us to. And we give him glory in it all. So those are the aspects of this unleavened bread, that it's a removal of leaven, which means sin. It's done in haste because that's our situation in this world. And it's a memorial of the deliverance that God has wrought for us. Now the applications are, first of all, of course, to get out the leaven individually. This is a picture of sanctification and this is the the use of this in the New Testament, that we should remove this from ourselves, sin. You know, you think about how these people must have felt as God says, look, anyone that has leaven, anyone who, who has any kind of leaven in the, the bread that they eat, they're going to be cut off. They must have been very zealous in to carry out the Lord's directives, to get rid of leaven, lest that happen to them. Zealous to make sure that blood was on the lentil, but also zealous to get rid of The leaven. And friends, that should be us. Right? We understand we do not earn our salvation. We understand that it is a a gift of God. But we should be zealous to remove from our minds, from our hearts, from our hands the leaven of sin. We should purge it out from us. It should be a matter of urgency in the Christian life to do that. We're not lazy about it. You know, again, the Roman Catholic says, You Protestants, you fools. You fools. If you really go around saying that this is a gift of of grace received by faith alone, do you know what they're going to do? They're going to just live however they want to live. We have it figured out. They'll be permanently, they'll understand that it involves works, and they'll have to continually come to the priest to receive absolution, to do their penance and all the rest of it. They'll have to continually come to church to go to Mass to earn merit and all the rest of it. And so we have that system working, and you've you've knocked out the most important chain of it. But of course it comes with something else, doesn't it? Christians don't just do what we can get away with. Christians don't carry on in sin because we have the Holy Spirit within us. Because we greatly desire, indeed, to be like Christ. That is our desire. And so, friends, don't prove the Roman Catholics right. Don't do as their false logic would dictate. Purge out sin from your life. Well, let me say again, it is like cancer. God has given us all things, even the things of the fallen world, to make good uh, spiritual il- application from, and what an illustration that cancer is! It tells us exactly what happens in what, what is said in Matthew five twenty nine. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from it, from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish and for your whole body to be cast in hell. And likewise, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish and for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, friends, if there is ever anyone in this world, and there are such, who either they themselves have have actually agreed or their physicians have decided for them to amputate a hand or to get rid of an eye or something along the lines or a vital organ, we can be sure that it is either because of an infection that is out of control that will kill them or of tumors, cancerous tumors that are out of control that will likewise kill them. And it is better for them to have that removed than for them to carry on as, as it is and it will mean their certain death. That is exactly the picture of sin. It's not benign. A benign substance is there, isolated in some part of your, your body, and it's never going to do anything. We do have some bacteria in, in us that is not a problem. It remains as it is. There's no problem. And some of us may have some sort of benign growth, but sin is not like that. It never stays isolated. It never stays in just one place. It always wants to permeate. It always wants to grow and spread, be malignant, and go from place to place until everything, your whole life, is covered with it. It's not something to play around with, it's rather something to zealously search out and destroy. We must be ruthless with sin in our lives, we must do that individually. And likewise in our families. Notice the corporate dimension of this whole work. That is according to households. And it's the household that needs to find the leaven and get rid of it. And we see that the, the parents, the, the particular uh, role and responsibility given to parents in this. The Lord deals with them in a matter of whole households. And so must it be for those who are in authority of households. Those who have authority should surely seek To get rid of the sin, in as much as lies in their hands to do. God expects us to do that. We should. We should get out the leaven. And secondly, we should get out the leaven corporately. That is what I read in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. That was the main application or the main thing that actually Paul is speaking of when he then illustrates it theologically with the concept of unleavened bread. He is talking about excommunication. He says, I'll read it again, 1 Corinthians five one. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. So what does Paul say needs to happen? That the man should be executed. Verse 5, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, if that doesn't make any sense to you, let me explain what that means. It means that the person is put out from the church, put out from the fellowship of the church. And what is the likely outcome of that? Destruction. You understand what wonderful privileges you have of being here among God's people. You understand the preserving the work. If leaven is something that takes over, so there's also preservative in salt. Salt destroys infection. Salt is is therefore life preserving in the life of believers, and as you're among the salt and light, as you're receiving the means of grace, as you're under the discipline of the church and oversight and fellowship and, and encouragement and example of the people of God, you are going to be in better shape than those who are outside. But if one of you is cut off, if one of you is expelled from the body, then your life is going to be worse. In many ways. And the way it's described is to be delivered to Satan. No longer under the protection of the elders. No longer under the hearing of the word of God. No longer in the reception of the life-giving sacraments. But rather one expelled. And one whose life is going to truly be miserable. And to what end? For the salvation of his eternal life. You see the salvation of his soul, the destruction of the flesh, that, this is the point, his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Paul doesn't explain everything he means, but what it means is that it, under the chastisement of being of being pushed out of God's people under discipline, under excommunication, that it will bring them to repentance. That every last remaining stay, every last uh, in, uh, encouragement and help If everything else has failed and they've continued on in sin, then maybe, just maybe, as all these things are taken away and the person goes to absolute rock bottom, that this work of chastisement will bring them to repentance in order that they might be saved. And that is the purpose of excommunication. It is always to bring the person to repentance. And friends, again, we must be perpetually... Ready among ourselves. Sadly, there are many cases in which a session of elders will, will pronounce excommunication of someone because of unrepentant sin, and the people themselves become divided. They are, they are, they are resentful that one of theirs should be so dealt with. But friends, you have to understand that when that day comes, it will be as the removal of a cancerous tumor from among your midst. Because so long as a a sinner in such a way, unrepentant of his ways, not listening to the rebuke of the elders at all, not listening to lesser forms of discipline, so long as they remain among you, it will bring you all down. Therefore, you understand, it is for your benefit, and it is also even for the benefit of the person involved that we do this work of excommunication. And then finally... Perhaps most importantly, I would say delight in Christ. What are we to think? of well, The fact that this is the only thing, this unleavened bread, the only thing that was given to them to eat, and that all other possibilities were forbidden from them. Are we to think of it indeed in terms of being on bread and water? Yes, I mentioned I once sentenced one of my Marines to bread and water. That was later overturned because... They no longer had provisions for doing that. I guess they don't do that anymore. But are we to think of our life of unleavened bread, are we really to think of that as being sentenced to being on bread and water? No. Not at all. That is not what the Lord has in mind for us. Rather, in the, in the removal of the extraneous, in the exclusion of all those other things, it is to focus us on Christ right? what if we had a, not just leavened bread but a wonderful leavened cake a giant cake or maybe even a wedding cake as well as lamb on the side what would it do it would surely take our attention away from the lamb wouldn't it and all the attention would be on this other thing God doesn't want that and so he has provided for you leavened bread that is perfectly nutritious and perfectly useful for you, that you might never ever depart from the centrality of the Lamb. And friends, that is our situation in this world. The exclusion of other possibilities is so that we might delight in Christ. Our great problem, our great, our great lack of joy, our great difficulty in this life is always strain towards other things, finding our enjoyment, finding our identity in something other than Christ. That's our problem, and the Lord in his goodness does not want that to happen. That's what Matthew Henry thinks. We must keep a feast in holy joy, continually delighting ourselves in Christ Jesus. No manner of work must be done. No care admitted or indulged, inconsistent with or prejudicial to this holy joy. And if true believers have not a continual feast, it is their own fault. So true. Beloved, if you have not a continual feast in Christ, it is your own fault. Because Christ is enough. He is a source of all and eternal joy. He, the Father is a giver of every good and spiritual gift. The Father gives the Son for us. The Father and the Son, they give the Holy Spirit that he might indwell us. And all these provisions are absolutely perfect in their design and in their efficacy. And if we have not a continual feast, if we're not in continual joy, it is our own fault. Delight yourself in Christ. Yes, precisely in the things that you do not have. The things that the Lord has kept from you in his goodness in order that you might focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. The bread that you eat with him, it doesn't have leaven. And you can take that in one of two ways. You can say, you can be bitter. You can be bitter at the bitter herbs. And say, if it was up to me, I would have cake. The Lord is miserly in keeping me from the cake that I want. From the fancy bread that I would desire, or you can say, I know God is good. This is a voice of Satan speaking to me in his lies, and whatever little thing it is that he has kept from me—and it's not much. This is a beautiful feast that he's provided, and that those little aspects of maybe worldly comfort here or there, the things that we might desire or covet after, these are things that he knows would distract us from delighting in Christ. And because he knows that there is only one way for true joy, only one way for true happiness, only one source of it in Christ, he and his goodness is making sure that we have the the very best. Don't be bitter. Don't covet and long after things that the Lord and his goodness has kept from you. Delight yourself in Christ and have a continual feast. My friends, the Lord has truly prepared a feast for us. Shall we not receive it? Let us pray. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, what indeed is wrong with us that we would ever desire or consider other means, another feast, some ingredients that you have not given to us? What are we thinking when we think that we go over to the world or we go over to Satan's table and his miserly, poisonous things and bring them and import them into the perfect, wonderful feast that you have given to us as we carry on as pilgrims in this world? How we pray, Heavenly Father, that we would dwell long and warmly On the provision that is given to us in Christ. Seen, yes, in the Passover lamb, but also in the unleavened bread. Lord God, how we pray that we would receive Christ for our justification as we believe on him. But also we would receive this work of sanctification. That we would purge out the leaven. We would purge out the sin from us. And that we keep ourselves from everything that distracts us from Christ. Who is the source of our, our joy and happiness and delight he is our great the great love of our lives lord god have mercy upon us and help us to keep this feast we pray in jesus name amen